We're in the midst of uh, talking about uh, things that we believe Christ has for our church. Uh, we don't say ours in a sense of possession. Uh, we don't own this church. Uh, there's not a sense of uh, we being more important than anybody, uh, that Christ is the only one uh, who deserves uh, prominence in the church. I want you to ask the question right now, uh, what makes a great church? What makes a great church? And how would you answer? I know that uh, a lot of times when you're looking for a new church, and I hope none of you who are attenders and regular members of this church and unregular members of this church um, are out shopping for another church. But uh, what would you look for? What are the things that stand out to you that identifies a good church? Sometimes it's just simply a lot of people. Uh, we assume in our culture today that uh, it's like a, a truck stop in Texas, right? If there are a lot of cars there, a lot of trucks there, truckers know where there's good places to eat, and we can follow that there's a lot of trucks there that we can go eat there. It's a good place. Uh, I think sometimes that's the way we make our decisions, but that may be it. Others of you, uh, you may look for different things, like you'd say, well, is there a big youth ministry? Are there a lot of kids going there? Do they have a big Awana ministry? What about the women's ministry and the men's ministry? And uh, what is it that makes a great church? Uh, others of you, you, you like a nice facility. You, you want to walk in and see that everything's, the walls are painted a nice color and they have good squishy pews that you can sit on and a, it's a beautiful place in case your daughter ever wants to get married or something like that. You think about these things as a facility or maybe some of you are, you, you know, you say, well, I'm concerned that there's a huge missions budget because I think that's what makes a great church. Or maybe you're just concerned about the budget, uh, a church that has a lot of money that can do a lot of things. Or maybe you have something, some other uh, bad criteria that you want to insert at a time like this in your own mind. This is what I'm looking for. This morning... I was thinking about uh, different measuring sticks, and I remembered a friend of mine who had visited a church that had an evening service, and he was talking to one of the members, and uh, he recognized this man as a visitor, and he said, oh, I, you know, you, you should really come in the morning, and uh, my friend goes, well, why? What, what's so great? He says, we have donuts. We have donuts in the morning, and uh when he told me that story, I thought to myself, you know, I'm a guy who likes a good apple fritter just as well as the next guy. Uh, but donuts, uh, I hope your church is more than donuts. Not that we don't have a wonderful fellowship time over there with great snacks, but I hope that a church is defined by more than its snacks. This morning, uh, we're doing a, a second part in our series uh, on talking about what Christ has for this church. We truly believe that uh, this church is unique, not so different than any other church, but that Christ knows this church. He knows us as a people. He has assembled us with our spiritual gifts to be in this place for this time. He doesn't just know our church. He knows our community. Uh, he's been to Tehachapi. Isn't that interesting to think about that? Uh, how many times have you gone out traveling and they say, oh, where are you from? And, and you say, Tehachapi. Uh, I always remember uh, there's a pastor down in Mexico who would always love to hear us say Tehachapi, to which he would answer, salud, or God bless you, you know, like we sneezed or something like that. But so many people say, I don't know where Tehachapi is, and yet Christ knows Tehachapi. He knows what's going on here. He knows what we need. We believe that as he spoke, uh, not inspired like that, but in Revelation 2 and 3, that he knew those specific churches. He knew what they were strong in and what they were weak in, and he knew what he had for the future, and he knew what he wanted that those particular churches to be about. As we considered this, as elders and the staff here, we, we prayed about this and we asked that Christ would 
teach us and direct us. And then as we talked and as we prayed some more and we talked and prayed and prayed and talked and we came up with three things. And this is number two. Number one, I shared with you a couple weeks ago about rescuing families, rescuing them from the idols uh, that will never satisfy, whatever they would be. It's interesting. I was talking to someone uh, for service about a particular area in California that I knew. And we started to talk about the particular idols of that place. And, oh yeah, there's that and there's this. And, and, and there's a danger to anything other than Jesus for our families is that we cling to it and we say that this is more important and we miss the good news of the gospel. We miss the worship of Christ. So rescuing families And now today we are going to look at shepherding souls. So if you join me in praying and asking God's blessing on our time, I'd appreciate it. God, thank you. Uh, Thank you for your goodness and grace to us that you would care about us and know us. Even as I shared that uh, I, I know that you know Tehachapi and you know Bear Valley Church. That's that's tough for me to to bring together that over all the world, you know this church and that you know this community and you know what we need. And so as we consider these things, we ask for your help through your Holy Spirit to guide and direct us that we would, um, our heart would connect with your word and that we would be changed um, because of your kindness to us. Thank you for this time. Thank you for Bear Valley Church. We ask your blessing on it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start talking about... uh, I want to to talk about souls first, concerning ourselves with souls. When I was a church planner up in Petaluma, we began um, to meet, and there was one particular man in the church who came to me, and he says, I'll I'll, I'll count, I'll count the number of people. And... you know, you really don't have to be much farther than first grade when you're in a church plant to be the, the one who counts. Because when there's only 15 or 20 of you, you know, you, you only have to get that high. I mean, it's, it's two hands and take your shoes off and you're there. But he asked me a question that I thought was important. He said, who should I count? Who should I count? Uh, it's an honest question. He said, should I count just adults? Should I count just adults? Should I uh, count just families? You know, how many families do we have here? Or should I count everybody? Should I count everybody? And counting's important. Did you know that? Those of you who like math, you, you understand why it's important. You, you like to know the exact number. I, I think about this. I think about our previous pastor uh, many years ago. Uh, Mike Boys, he came from a, a Baptist tradition. And when I say Baptist, I'm talking capital B, maybe all caps. I don't know. But he was he was from a fundamentalist background, and he would tell me funny stories about how they would count. And as the pastor would get the number, he wouldn't like it, and he'd say, count again. Or, uh, no, it's 50 more than that. Or, uh, you missed those people in the balcony. And uh, he would also tell me that sometimes you were wondering if they counted the dogs out in the parking lot as well. I remember answering this man as I thought about it, and I said, count everyone with a soul. Count everyone with a soul. Because that's what matters in the church. Everyone with a soul. And this morning as we consider shepherding, I want to start out with talking about the soul of man. I was thinking about some passages that reflect this, and there's different words that are used to talk about the, the part of man that matters, the, the part of man that is eternal, if I can say it that way. And it's our personality, it's our soul. And, and that inner man is so important for us to stay focused on here at Bear Valley Church. There, there's different things that we can excite ourselves about and give ourselves to, But this is what it is for us to count and to concern ourselves with, the eternal soul of man. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul was praying for this church that he was writing to. And he prayed something, and it's very important for us to see his heart in this. 
Ephesians chapter two, uh, 3, starting at verse 14, says this. For this reason, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul was concerned about their inner man. And what was he concerned? He was asking for them to have strength in the inside of them, in their person. Why? That they might know Christ. That they might know Him. That when he was going before the God of all power the one that could respond to his prayer and bless and and grant his desire, he went before him and he says, I pray for their inner man, that it would be strengthened, that they might know and understand who Christ is. He was concerned about the place in them, the strength where it mattered, where it mattered. So what's so tough for us is that we only see mostly what doesn't matter, right? We see the exteriors. We see people when the spotlight is on them. And he says, I concern myself in the, for your inner man. I think of another verse, uh, another passage that's speaking to ladies in First Peter chapter 3. And it talks and, and, and reminds us of something important once again, the same principle, is what should we be concerned with in the church? What part of the church should we care about? In 1 Peter chapter 3, starting at verse 3, he's instructing ladies what to concern themselves with. He says this, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry or the or clothing you wear but your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious he says ladies don't get lost in the external and in reality he's saying everybody don't get lost in the external What's most important is who you are inside, your soul. And and as I think about that in the church, I think about all the different things that we concern ourselves with and and maybe even get a little ruffled in our feathers and, and frustrated with and impressed by. And he says, it's not what you can see on the outside, it's what's true on the inside. He said, these are the things that you should concern yourself with, the things that are precious to God. found another passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul is um, sharing with them why he's an apostle and really reminding them that his authority comes from God and that, that he is God's messenger, and so that there isn't a sense of him being great, but he comes with an important authoritative message. And in the midst of even talking, uh, I don't want to say talking out of both sides of his mouth, Paul says, listen to me, you have to, I'm nothing. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm working super hard, but it's really nothing at all. He says this in chapter 12 that I think is important for us to understand. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 15 says this, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. You get that picture that it, you hear spending and you're like, oh, you, you'd be willing to give money. You'd be willing to sacrifice. And he says, yeah, I'm willing to sacrifice, but not just sacri- to be sacrificed. Why? What was so important 
to Paul? Why did it, it get him to the place of saying, I'll give it all? What was it? Souls. Souls. And as a church, as we think about what we're doing here, and as we uh, meet and gather, may we never forget we're dealing with souls. May we never forget that this isn't some type of, uh, you know, uh, disposable people or Kleenex that we can get rid of when we've used them and thrown them aside. But we are, are interacting and we have the opportunity with the souls of men. Last verse I want to share in regards to the souls is in First Thessalonians chapter 5. Book of First Thessalonians uh, is mostly dealing with the coming of the Lord. And um, the, the coming of the Lord is, is super important, right? Okay, some of you aren't sure yet. I'm not going to set a date, but it could happen today. It could happen today, okay? It could happen today, but it also could happen tomorrow. Don't forget the next day either. Monday or Tuesday would be great, wouldn't it? Today would be great. Yeah. Coming of the Lord. And so there's, a, there's sometimes when we struggle with the coming of the Lord, we say, so if the Lord's coming, what should I do today? What should I do today? If the Lord's coming today, should you clean your house? No. I just, some of you were struggling right there. Yeah. The obsessive compulsive ones are like, yes, it's got to be, he, you know, He's going to come unannounced. He's going to visit me. He's not going to care about your house in order. Yeah, you think about if he's coming, how, and some of you are thinking, some of the other side of us were like, well, if he's coming, let's lay down and take a nap, you know. It's not worth doing anything. That was kind of where the church at Thessalonica was at. They're like, hey, let's sit down and wait. What should we do because of the coming of the Lord? Let's look at it. Verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does he say we should be doing because of the coming of the Lord? Our inner man, that, that, that person within us should be ready should be ready. And even so, as our inner man is ready, it will come out in a blameless life. It will come out in an obedient, holy life. Do you see that connection? Our souls are important. The souls around us are important. The kids' souls are important. And this is very hard for us to see sometimes. Sometimes we look at kids and we just go, oh, they're loud, they're obnoxious, they're brats. Kids don't matter. Others of us say, you know what? And some of you you struggle with this personally. You say, I only matter if I'm contributing in some way. I'm getting older and I just can't do these things and so I'm not worth anything. That's not true. You know why? Because you have a soul a soul and those who have souls matter in the church and for us to keep our eyes focused it's interesting um, I want to ask you a question does everyone in the church have a soul some of you are wondering you're thinking of specific people and you're going I don't know I don't know let me ask you a question Um, the people where you shop do they have a soul the people who you work with and work for, do they have a soul? Yes. And there's a sense in which we need to keep our eyes fixed on that because in our minds we're saying, you matter, you don't. You're important, you're not. Those who have souls are the ones that we need to be fixed on. I hate to say this, but I'm going to. It's not pets. Sorry. It's not buildings. It's not programs. It's not the women's ministry or the men's ministry. It's not Awana, the youth ministry. 
The office doesn't exist apart from souls. You get that? That as we consider who we are as a church, we must stay focused on the fact that every person that God has created has a soul. I think about uh, this church building, and this church building will not go into eternity. And so as we put it next to a child or a, a uh, next to a group of people, what's more important? The souls. The souls are more important. As I think about the, the different things that we enjoy uh, in the church, I was thinking of our missions ministry. And and do we remember, uh, I've had the blessing of being able to uh, uh, visit with some of our missionaries. Even in the short time I've been here, there have been quite a few that have come do you remember, do, as you look at those missionaries, do you remember that they have a soul? That they have a soul, not just the people out that they're ministering to. Sometimes we look at them and we go, so what are you doing? You should be a machine. Just pump out some data. You know, Work hard, work hard, work hard. We're being lazy, but work hard, work hard, work hard. Because you're a missionary. They have a soul. They're a person. As I think about some of the things that we get excited about, it may be laws of our country, it may be bylaws in our church, it may be some we we say, well, what about Robert's Rules of Order? Who is that guy anyways? We sometimes get all excited about structures and programs and ideas. And, and do we forget that, that apart from the souls of people, both inside the church and outside the church, we have no business meeting. He's called us to souls. So that's what we're talking about. And now we're going to talk about shepherding. Before we really get into shepherding, I want to talk about what it is to know Christ. It's very important. Uh, I think that sometimes when people uh, reflect on what it is to have a relationship with Christ, some people say, I just don't need him. You know, I just don't need him. Uh, I love when people say, it, it just sounds silly to me. Oh, Jesus is just a crutch for weak people. I, I love that. You know, you can't walk on your own, so put the crutch in there and you can kind of hobble along through life. But I'm healthy. I'm strong. I don't need him. I'm kind of like a lion. I, I can handle myself. Some of us think that we're like that. And the, the Bible talks about um, wolves in sheep's clothing. But if you think you're a lion here today, you're a sheep in lion's clothing. You picture a sheep roaring like a lion. That's what you are. I'm going to sound really tough. I want to show that to you. In Matthew chapter 9, just a beautiful passage where Christ shares his own heart for the people. Just He just pours out his own heart in, in Matthew chapter 9. In, in chapter 9, starting at verse 35, it says this, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. So you get this picture, Jesus is out ministering. He's not just staying back and he's not in his study, uh, studying great stuff. He's out there doing it, touching people and meeting with people in communities and villages. And he's healing them and he's bringing them out of the, the life that they are. He's preaching them a different way and, and sharing with them. And then it says this in verse 36, it says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You get that? So, so what are we apart from Christ? Two words, harassed and helpless. That doesn't sound like a lion to me. That doesn't sound like there's any sense of awesomeness to it. You, you know, uh, by the way, uh, what is the protection for a sheep? 
There's two things, shepherd and what? The flock, safety in numbers. So uh, a sheep, apart from where they're supposed to be, are, is out there by themselves, harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. That's a terrible picture. And you may feel like you're really competent, but beyond that rough exterior, I want to tell you, you know, you know your own weakness, you know the danger, you know your own fears. And the reason that you have them is because you weren't designed to be out there. You were designed to be in the flock with a shepherd. That's what you're designed for. If you don't know Christ and you're here today, um, I'd love to talk to you more about what it means to know him personally and to be one of his sheep in his flock. This morning, I, I want to give us some words of description of what it means to be part of the shepherding and really the shepherd's job. The first one is feeding. In John chapter 21, verse 17, there's a conversation going on with Peter. And Peter is towards the end of Christ's earthly ministry. He's going to leave and, and, and leave the disciples to do his work. And Peter has abandoned Christ. He comes back, Jesus draws him back, and then there's this conversation, this back and forth of, of where Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? And I want to read to you the last. He asks him three times. Peter's frustrated and discouraged because he asked him the same question three times. But this is what he says. He's, uh, verse 17 of John 21. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. The shepherd's job, the, the shepherd's desire is that the, feet, the, the sheep be fed. There's a sense of nutrition. You all know that it's important to eat, right? Yeah, you all know that? I didn't get any amens out of that. I'm surprised. I know you better than that. Um, we know that it's important to eat, and it's important for what reason? For energy and for health. And, and the difference between sh- sheep need to be fed. They need to be brought to pasture. They need to be fed in such a way. Why? So they can be healthy, so they can move, so they can follow the shepherd. And so one of the important roles, both of the shepherd for the sheep and the sheep to have, is that they would be fed. But not just fed uh, or full, but fed with spiritual food. That there would be spiritual health. This is the need for the church today, that they would be fed and be fed in such a way See, Jesus was concerned and is concerned about your spiritual dinner. He's concerned about what you're eating, where you're eating, if you're eating enough, if you're healthy. He's concerned about feeding. Second passage I want to look at, it's in 1 Peter chapter 5. And as I have uh, preached three or four times already on shepherding and sheep and sheepology and stuff like that, I keep going back to this passage because it, it, it's such an important one to me as, uh, as a pastor and thinking through our responsibility and what we're trying to accomplish here. Uh, this passage is, is very important. It says this in, in 1 Peter chapter 5, starting at verse 2, he's addressing elders. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those who are in your charge, but being examples to the flock. You see a few different things of what's going on with this shepherding. The first one being guiding or protecting 
and being an example, this picture here, and I, I, I want you to, sometimes it's tough for us because we don't have a herd of sheep around here. I think it'd be great if, uh, you know, between the Malden's house and my house, that there were like 300 sheep between San Juan and Cumberland so we could go stand out there and watch. And we'd say, we're just like them, and that's what we're doing. But there's a, a bad picture here that we have in most of the movies we see. How do they keep sheep together? How do they do that? Dogs. And so when one gets out of line, you know, what do they do? They bite them. There's a sense in which that's how they keep it all together. They're, they're biting and they're yelling and they're barking, you know, barking, you know, and the sheep are like, oh, no, I don't want to do that. So they come back together. That's not the picture of Scripture. Do you, do you understand that? That there's a, a picture in Scripture of the shepherd bringing us all together and gently coming. No, don't go over there. Don't go over there. Come back. Oh, got to go get this one. You know, come back over here. Bring, come back to the flock. And there, there's a sense of watching and protecting and, and saying, uh, you know, we better stay away from over there. We're going to head over here. And he's, it's his oversight, you know, this picture of, okay, there's one there. It's like counting sheep almost. They're there, okay. You know, I, I, got, I got all these taken care of. Um, there's a couple of, uh, of um, bad dreams that I have as, you know, they're, they're kind of, uh, sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night in, in a cold sweat, and I'm thankful I'm not a youth pastor because those dreams come back. There's two things you dream about. There's two things you dream about. The first one is not having enough seats on the bus. That you're planning and you're trying to, you're begging people to come to camp. Is everyone going to camp, by the way? I just want to ask that question. The sign-up's going right now. We'll, uh, we'll do whatever it takes to get you to camp, whatever it takes. Um, but you worry about having enough seats on the bus and, and that, that moment of truth where everyone on the bus or everyone in the cars and you see two people standing out there that don't have a seat. That's, that's, oh, that's not so good. That's not so good. That's one of those nightmares. But the greater one is this, that you forget somebody. That you go to the beach or you're leaving from camp and you're, everyone's on. So what you do is it's like this. You have your list, but you're always, is everyone here? Is everyone, were you, the person you're sitting with, are they, they, are they here? We've gone through our list. You go through it again. Does everyone, sure, is everyone out of the bathroom? Is everyone out of that room? Is everyone out? You, and you're, because you're fearful that like you're going to lose a kid and that, you know why you're fearful? Is because their mom is going to be in the parking lot afterwards and you say, oh, we just lost him. I don't know where he is. Could be at the Taco Bell. It could be at the, I don't know. I'm sure he'll turn up, you know. You get that picture, that, that idea that, that they matter. Why do they matter, by the way, these sheep? Because they have souls, right? They have souls. And so you're constantly, you're, you're directing oversight. You're, you're trying to keep them all together. You're saying this, whose flock is it, by the way? It says it in uh, First Peter, uh, First Peter 5. What does it say? God's flock. God's flock. It's his flock. Um. Who will you have to answer to? Moms are ferocious and everything, but I'd rather answer to a, a, a mom than I would to the Almighty God that said, these are the ones I gave you. These are the ones you were called to be with. You see, that's the picture of shepherding, is guiding, protecting. And that third word there is super important as well, the example the example, you look at the end of verse 3, actually, yeah, verse 3, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Now, th- this is, I-, I want you to get this, because um, what's the example of a good sheep? What does a good sheep do? How does a good sheep stand out? They don't. They don't. They're walking where they're supposed to be walking. They're in the flock. The shepherd is calling to them, and they, they, they're all part of that pack that's moving in that direction. Sometimes we feel like in the church 
that this is time to show our individuality, to do our own thing, to have our own idea, and, and to express our, our creativity. That's not what a sheep is. Where are the sheep to be? They're supposed to be in the flock, moving in the direction the shepherd wants us to go. And, and you know what it is to, to be a part of a mob mentality? You know what that is? It's driving on the 14 freeway, uh, just right over the hill, right outside of Lancaster, going into Santa Clarita. Mob mentality. Everyone's going 70, 75, and you're like, I'd like to go slower, but I'm going to get ran over. So I guess I'll just be part of the crowd here. You know, and you're driving along. Everyone's doing this, you know, so I guess we are too. You know, it kind of makes me nervous, but everyone seems like they know what they're doing. You know, I'm part of that. I'm part of that. The, the picture here is this, of being an example is to draw others in the right direction, to start moving there. And what's interesting, if you, uh, enough people move in a direction, the mob follows. And that's the picture of God's flock, is that we are to be moving in a direction. And as I said two weeks ago, we want to move and, and follow where Christ, if he wants us to go over that hill, Let's go over that hill. But if he wants us to stay right at this spot until further notice, this is where we want to stay. And he's looking, and, and a flock needs examples of people who will follow him in that way. To just be at the place where he calls us to be, to not stand out, but rather to have a simple and even boring obedience of doing what he wants us to do. As we move on, I move over to Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. There's a word there that, that should really happen over and over again in the flock. It should be a part of our everyday life. It should be as we meet. It should be part of uh, what defines us as Bear Valley Church. It's not something we like to hear, by the way. It's something we talked about. Obviously, we've been... Uh, for most of you know, we've been going through the book of Colossians. We've already looked at this passage. But listen to what it says. And this one of these words really uh, should be defining us as the flock. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. You remember what that word admonishing means? It means to be told that you're wrong. We should be doing that a lot here at Bear Valley Church, a lot. And some of you go, oh, that'll be just such a negative church. Don't embrace that idea. You're not called to be jerks as we tell people we're wrong, but it's protective. Think about the flock right now. Picture yourself as a sheep, okay? Maybe you were in a, a play as a kid, and so this isn't too far of a, a, a stretch for you. You got, you know, you're fuzzy, and you got the ears, and you're on all fours. And we're a flock here, okay? This is Bear Valley, the flock. Where are we supposed to be? Where are we supposed to be in the flock? Right? Say one of us were we're off up there somewhere. We're walking, rah, rah, you know, and and one of us walks off towards the cliff. And the rest of us are going, bah, um, oh, they shouldn't be going, yeah, they shouldn't be going over there. That's sure dangerous. Oh, I don't want to be the one, you know, I don't, I don't do really well with confrontations. I don't want to be known as the one that always says you're wrong. Yeah, you do it. You're the one. Yeah, I, I don't know him as well as you do. You go talk to him, you know. And all the while we're like, oh, we'll just let them be. It's they're expressing their individuality, and off the cliff they go. That's the picture. Is that as we are the flock of God, there's a sense of we are to correct one another. We are to say, hey, you're going in the wrong direction. It's dangerous for you. Come over here. Be part of us. Stay right here. The shepherd told us to stay here. We should stay here. He told us that, that this is the safe place for us. We should be here. Come on. You know, don't go over there. It's trouble for you. It's a corrective sense of us being shepherded together. I have one last word uh, for us when it comes to shepherding, and that word is watching. Watching. 
We've already talked about this a touch, but in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, this is what it says. Pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. You know, this morning as uh, we think about watching, this passage is interesting because it starts out saying, look at yourself, look at yourself. Pay careful attention to who you are. And why is that important as we watch over the flock? Why is that important? Real simple. If we're sick, there's a chance if we're going in the wrong direction, if we're sick, if things aren't going right with us, there's a chance it could spread to the other sheep. Okay? But beyond that, he says, be watchful. And the idea of being watchful is, is constantly as we are together, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you going in the right? Okay, they're okay. You're, you're constantly watching. There's a sense in which we're watching one another. There, that we as a, we're constantly, why? Why should we be watching? What does it say? For the wolves. We're in constant danger. Constant danger. You know what? I, I don't really believe that we believe that. I, I think we're, we're much too casual on these things. I think I'm too casual, and I go, oh, they must be doing okay. <laughs> you know, why ruin a good conversation about asking about how they're doing? You know, just stay on the pleasantries of life, you know. Boy, finally summer got here, you know. How's your golf game? It's not going to change. All, all the golfers here, you know, they've reached their, it's only on the downhill slides, because it can only go negative is what I'm saying. You know who you are. Um, but uh, th- there's a sense in which he's called us in the flock to be watchful of one another. You know, uh, there's a sense, if you come from a large family, you know there's responsibilities all the way around. That you sometimes get busted for something your brother or sister did because you didn't stop them. There's a sense in which when bad things happen to one member of the family, the whole family gets taken down. You understand that. That's the picture here, is that we're watchful of one another. We're concerned. We're looking to the right and to the left. We're, we're checking in with people. We're saying, are you doing okay? How about this? How about that? Why? Because the health of the flock is important. Why? Because we're answering to the shepherd. The shepherd desires for us as a sheep to take care of one another. I want to give you a few things for you to think about as you think about this idea of being sheep, of shepherds and shepherding, and specifically shepherding souls here at Bear Valley Church. I want to tell you, everyone should stay together. Everyone should stay together. I want you to think about that and really consider yourself and where you are in Bear Valley Church. Do you see yourself on the outside just kind of floating in and out? Just saying, I'll check in there every once in a while and and, and sit sit in the back. And sometimes people uh, come late and they shoot out of here when they're done because they want to remain anonymous. You are at danger. You are at risk. Because what he desires for us is not to stay on the outside, but for our safety sake, stay right in the middle. So stay here. Stay here. I'm not saying stay here like sleep here, but, you know, stay here in the midst of the flock. Everyone stay together. You know, it's interesting. Um, Sheep are not safe because of their location, but they're safe because they're with the shepherd and in the flock. Sheep, the picture here is moving from here and there and uh, kind of staying in this pasture in one setting and then over the hill and over to another. And, and they're always safe, not because of where they are, but because who they're with. Stay together. 
And the picture of that, I, I think about this, I don't know if you've seen this picture. Have you ever seen um, uh, a preschool field trip? You know what I'm talking about? Talk about chaos. Talk about chaos. And I always love it that uh, a lot of times they have the rope. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, everyone grab a loop or a knot on the rope and hold on to the rope and all the kids. And the last kid has it around their neck, you know, because they're that kid, you know. Or the teacher says, you're going to be my friend all day long. We're going to hold hands. And the kid's like, yeah, I'm special. Yeah, you're special. You're a special problem is what you are. Why, why do they have the rope? Why is the teacher concerned? Because they've got to stay together. They've got to stay together. Second thing I want to share with you is this. And this is for you as we think about uh, shepherding. Check in and don't wander off. Check in and don't wander off. The idea of wandering off, we've already gone over that, right? It's not good for you. Some of you say, well, you know, were they keeping attendance there? You know what? We are. We are. Uh, almost every week, uh, we as the pastors, we go through a list uh, uh Bear Valley Church, and, and we try to remember who we saw that day. And, and why? It doesn't mean that you're doing good just because you came to church, but if you're not here, we don't know what's going on, and we're concerned. We, we're trying to get a handle and because we feel responsible to the Lord, but so, so don't wander off. Why? And there's a temptation. This is our temptation. Is if we're hurting, we're hurting. We involve ourselves in sin. Something big's going on in our life. We just go, oh, I, I, can't, I can't go to church. I, I can't stay. It's just the wrong place to be. So we wander off. Don't. Don't. Because we're safety for the sheep. It's in the flock. And when I say check in... I, um, I would love to get this phone call. I'd love to get this phone call. When something bad is happening in your life, whether it be sin, whether you're struggling with something, you just call and you say, I'm struggling. I'm struggling. You know why? Because then we know. We can surround you and we can help you and we can pray for you to check in. It's interesting. There's a, a family a couple of weeks ago, they came up to me with big smiles after the service and they said, we want you to know we're going to be gone for two months. And, and the reason we're laughing is we, we didn't want you to feel like you're, you're offensive and we just quit going and we're out of here. They checked in. They checked in. They let me know what was going on. They say, hey, we're doing great. We're, we're excited to be a part of it. We're going to be back this one. We're going to be back. They checked in. That's, that, that, that would be helpful for us as a flock as we... I care for one another that we don't wander off and we check in. Number three, be concerned with us about the health of the flock. Be concerned with us. It's a group project. I, I hope you understand that, that um, even as we have struggled over this, who's a shepherd in the church? Well, Jesus is the shepherd of the church, right? And yet he calls the elders shepherds as well. So at, uh, at best they're under shepherds. And yet they're sheep as well, right? So they're not... It gets complicated. I'm telling you that, okay? So this is a group project. And so as you are going about, be constantly concerned about the health of the church. And not the health of, you know, th- things... We didn't get the right numbers or, you know, there's not that many people coming or what. But when you, when you concern yourself with the health of the church, you're, you're considering shepherding souls around you. You're, you're looking into people and you're saying, are you doing okay spiritually? Because I don't care how you perform. If, you don't, if you're not doing well spiritually, forget it if you perform. Forget it. You know, I think that that's the big danger for us in a church like ours where we have programs and we have things going on and we can accomplish a lot and we can be where we're supposed to be. 
but to concern ourselves with the souls of people and continually, one to another, be concerned about our spiritual health. Lastly, it's just kind of a, um, a reiteration of what, what we've already talked about. Is be shepherds, be shepherds, and be ready to be shepherded. Be ready to be shepherded. Um, you might get a phone call and someone say, Hey, um, I'm part of Bear Valley Church. I was wondering, is everything going okay? Is there anything we can pray for you about? Is there something going on that you want to tell us about and want wisdom on? And you're like, oh, no. Telemarketers? Maybe you'll feel that way. Don't. Don't. We just feel like we've been called to shepherd. And when you're here at church, if something's going on, right, be ready to be shepherded as well as ready to shepherd. Be looking for how God would have you be a part of the flock. This is what we should be looking for. What's this going to look like? It's going to involve walking together. That's one of Paul's favorite words in the New Testament. Walking with Christ as we walk along the path. Sharing lives for us to pray for one another. For us to comfort one another and confront one another when we're in sin. To share in one another's trials. And to remind one another to be grateful and rejoice both in the blessings and in the difficulties of life. This is what we're called to do. Let's pray. Father God, thank you uh, for the opportunity of considering what you'd have for us as a church. Uh, God, I pray that you'd continue to empower us and direct us as you see fit. God, I pray that you would... um, Give us eyesight to see souls instead of uh, programs and problems and other things. God, keep us fixed on the picture of the flock and that we are to shepherd one another. Give us a heart of compassion as your son Jesus had as he looked and he said, he looked at people apart from him and he said they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Not a good place for any of us. God, thank you for your grace to us and your mercy. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.